Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. This is our special weekly segment with host Peter Kafka, Recode's senior editor and producer of the Code Media Conference. Joining Peter each week are some of his favorite movers and shakers from the media world. Peter, this week you talked to Rufus Griscom. Tell us a bit about him. Carrie, you remember Rufus Griscom because you, like yes, me, are old enough to remember the Web 1.0 when he was a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Then he founded a site called Nerve.com, which is sort of the uh, mm-hmm. the sexier version of web personals. Uh, then he went on and founded something called Babbel.com, which was sort of for mommy bloggers and, and hip parents, which he sold to Disney. Now he's got a third new site called Helio.com. We talked about that. It's, it's sort of a thought leader's platform. Which I know probably Thought makes you, you know, I was I just recently bought a videotape of me and Rufus and Michael Wolf on Charlie Rose in the nineties where I was had feathered hair and uh Shoulder pads. Oh, screw nice. this podcast. Let's watch that. <laughs> exactly. So what are you going to talk about with Rufus? So I want to talk to Rufus about the new business, which is interesting because he's sort of taking big famous people like yourself, perhaps, uh, and figuring out how to make them more famous and, and more rich. Uh, and I also want to talk to him about what it's like to start a website in 2015 compared to the 90s when he founded Nerve.com 90s. and sort of how, that, how yeah. things have changed. We've been around for a long time. Yes. We didn't have cell phones then, just FYI. (laughs) We had big cell phones, but not real ones. I've seen Wall Street, too. Yeah. Okay. I lived that. All right. Peter, looking forward. Thanks, Kara. One of the cool things about my job is I get to talk to people who create lots of interesting companies, but usually they create one company, maybe two. I'm here with Rufus Griscom, who's created three or four interesting companies. I want to talk to him about the fourth, but let's go over the the list, Rufus. You started Nerve and Nerve.com. Yeah. Spring Street Networks. That's right. Babbel.com. Yep. And now the fourth company is Helio. Yes, yes. So here is the multi-million dollar question, Rufus. What is Helio? <laughs> what is Helio? Um, Helio is a platform for discovering and interacting with the ideas of the world's great writers and thinkers. And, and not only interacting with their ideas, but interacting with them directly. So I go there and I read or listen to people like whom? So you go there and you discover people like Susan Cain, who wrote Quiet, The Power of Introverts, Dan Pink, who wrote Drive, About Human Motivation, Gretchen Rubin, who wrote The Happiness Project, right? We have a collection of, at at, at launch now, we have 15 of these big writers or thought leaders. We'll soon have 50 to 100 in a matter of a couple months. These are people who've published books, sold millions of copies of books. They have very popular TED Talks. You're going to do the same thing on your site or you're doing something different? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're, we're taking kind of the the ideas of these people. And almost most of our first 15 people have top TED Talks, right? So it is precisely these kinds of people. And they have best-selling books. A lot of them sold millions of copies of their books. And we're basically taking their ideas. We're helping them to distribute them through social media. We're creating a whole range of different ways of kind of bringing those ideas to life. So we're creating like infographics as blog posts. We're shooting original video with them. Uh, and we're also kind of covering their ideas and making them relevant and topical. These guys are famous. Uh, they sold millions of copies of books. They're, they have TED Talks have been watched millions of times. They, they need your help? So, yes, they do. I mean, they'll be fine without us, like they, <laughs> you know, all of them. But what, what's so interesting is you look at these top writers and thinkers, and most of them, they tweet, but they don't really use Facebook. They don't have YouTube channels. They, they have lots of videos on YouTube. But they generally, they're, you know, 60-minute speeches they've given somewhere and 15-minute television interviews. Nobody's editing those down to the great 30, 40, five-second clip, video clip, A-B testing headlines and putting it out there in kind of more snackable form. So it sounds like your BuzzFeed, but for, for brainy people. 
That's kind of right. Yeah, that, I mean, we don't object to that characterization. It's not bad to be compared to BuzzFeed and Brainy's good, too. So this is, this is if, uh, I don't pay if I go onto this site if I'm going to visit do the authors and, and writers and talkers you're talking to. Are they paying you for this? No, so we're not charging them. Everything we're doing initially is free. We will, there is, it's effectively a freemium model. We will be offering sort of paid products that are like um, distillations of their books that include like video. And um, effectively, you will be able to subscribe to a channel to interact with these thought leaders through Helio. So it's, you're eventually going to end up with a subscription business based around people who are famous. Well, we're starting with people who are famous. You're so basically, rinsing, but yeah, but that's part of it, right? So the, the idea is to take a, a famous person and yes. say, we're going to create a business based around your personality, what you say, what you think, and we're going to share the revenue with you. That's right. That, I mean, we're, we're definitely, by design, we're starting with very successful, very famous writers and thinkers in specifically this kind of bi- intersection of business, science, and optimization, helping you get better at executing your business, at optimizing your life based on kind of great ideas and science. And that's our starting place. And we've we spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, should we start with pets? Should we start with, you know, gardening? Should we start with food? And we decided this was the right subject area. And that within that subject area, we should start with the top people. Start with people who are famous. There are versions of this business already in place. The most famous one is, is Glenn Beck, where he was a famous radio personality, became a famous TV personality at Fox, split, and now has his own giant business based really just around himself. Other people have tried to replicate that business model. They haven't really been successful. So why do you think it's going to work this time around for you guys? Yeah, so the, the Glenn Beck case study is totally fascinating, right? This guy leaves Fox News, starts his own website, grows to what we're told is you know 400,000 people paying 10 bucks a month, to close, to, close to $50 million in subscription revenue, in, you know, negative option recurring subscription revenue. And these are people, and this is not through an app. This is people typing with two fingers their credit cards in. And on top of that, they have ad revenue rumored to be a total of about $90 million a year in revenue. So this is the, – the Glenn Beck case study, I think, has provoked a lot of interest from a lot of both internet startups and established companies thinking like, hey, if this is replicable, this is potentially transformative for media. The problem has been that a lot of the people who've tried to replicate it in different categories have not succeeded until recently, frankly, with the Kardashians, with what Whale Rock has done with the Kardashians, where they're rumored to have generated – you know, a 30 million run rate in the first week of downloads uh, with the Kardashian apps, uh, which is obviously very different subject matter. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so we think now there have been other entities like Tap TV that have brought on Sarah Palin and some uh, evangelical Christians that have, it appears, not gotten quite as much traction. So Glenn Beck is successful at this. The Kardashians are successful at this. Um, it seems like the people you're working with don't sound like or seem or look like Glenn Beck or the Kardashians. It seems like they appeal to a vastly different audience. You think the audience behavior will be the same even though they're very different types of people and personalities? Yeah, so our thesis is that what we've said consistently to investors and our partners and our, you know, the writers and thinkers we're working with is that we don't think that, say, Malcolm Gladwell, for instance, can generate 50 million in subscription revenue like Glenn Beck. We do think that Malcolm Gladwell and people like, you know, Gretchen Rubin of The Happiness Project and, you know, Stephen Johnson and a lot of other great writers and thinkers can potentially generate half a million or a million a year in subscription revenue, right? That's real money. When you think about it, uh, when you look at our top, the first 15 people we're starting with, at least half of them have sold more than a million copies of their books, right? If they can sell 10,000 subscriptions for $10 a month, that's $1.2 million a year in revenue. So it, it doesn't take a huge amount of traction to generate pretty meaningful revenue. For them um, and for you. And that's, that's the first part of your business. It's a real business. 
That's right. That's right. But it also, we like to think, I mean, what we're starting with is basically a a kind of no-brainer proposition for both the writers and we like to think for users, which is that we're offering free content. I mean, for the writers, we're saying, hey, you don't have a, a social media guru who you tweet, but you don't use Facebook and YouTube and Tumblr and all these other platforms to help get your ideas out there. You know, you go to YouTube and we can find all these 60 minute speeches you've given, but nobody's editing it down to the great 45 second clip and A-B testing headlines. We're going to do what BuzzFeed or Upworthy would do. And in fact, we, we have members of our team from companies like Upworthy and BuzzFeed and, and other, other companies that are very, very good at this. And we're going to basically help you better distribute your ideas online. And to the user, we're saying, you're going to get direct access to all these great writers and thinkers. And if you'd like to, we're going to offer you all this amazing free content. And here is some paid, what we think is very compelling paid content that you can subscribe to. And so you've created a new revenue stream for your talent. Uh, here at Recode, we also have multiple revenue streams. In addition to doing free stuff like this, like this podcast, we also have a really awesome conference business. Let me tell you about it. If you like what you're listening to and you want to hear more of this, you should come join us at Code Media 2016. That's February 17th and 18th in Southern California. It's where you'll find fascinating speakers from the intersecting worlds of media and technology, just like this. Some of our speakers include Michael Linton from Sony, Michael Hopkins from Hulu, Eric Huggers from Vivo, Jessica Lesson from The Information. If you want to see the full speaker lineup and register for the event, you should come to recode.net slash events. I just did an ad. How was that? (laughs) Um, Seamless. Are you going to have ads on your site? We do anticipate that we will have a space for sponsors. That, For instance, we might say, hey, uh, we're going to identify the top 25 science thinkers in the U.S., and that could be brought to you by a GE or some kind of entity. And they could pay for the first 5,000 downloads of the Helio Essentials sort of short-format book product. So that we, we do think that's an opportunity. It's a secondary revenue stream for us. You think the main business is subscription business? Yeah. So as I said in the introduction, you've done this before. You've launched successful businesses before. You're launching this site in 2015. When did you launch Nerve slash Nerve.com? What year was that? That was 1997. June 26, 1997. So you were part of that very first wave of what was then called Silicon Alley. You were part of the sort of the bright lights of Silicon Alley. There were a handful of people who were in the internet in the 90s when people were really interested in the web for the first time. And the people in New York were very different than the people in San Francisco. What was it like being a, an internet celebrity in New York in the, in the 90s? Well, that's a very generous description of the situation. I can call you the tallest midget if you want, but but it is true. You were a famous New York internet celebrity. It it, it is true that there was actually a New York magazine cover that said Silicon Valley 1.0, and there were 12, something like 8 or 10 or 12 of us on the cover, and and I was one. And Stephen Johnson, who's now one of our thought leaders, was another one because he'd started Feed Magazine, which was an early online magazine. But it was, you know, I mean, it was, I, I loved that period because I think the first instinct that we had, or a lot of people had when this kind of whole internet thing emerged was, oh my gosh, it's the next generation printing press, right? And so we, and so the instinct was to become pamphleteers, right? Gutenberg comes out with a printing press and people print pamphlets and, and share their ideas. And there was something very pure about that, that we have a new kind of more efficient way to share ideas. And so that was, you know, it was a huge amount of fun. And we, we went into it with no business plan. With very little, you know, we started with a hundred grand, which is very common at the time to have no business plan. Yeah. Now we're fa- we're entering that phase of this Web two O cycle or Web three O cycle. Where people are expected to not only have business plans but maybe even revenue or products. But beyond the fact that you were famous, then what are some of the other differences between launching a business in two thousand fifteen and launching a web business in nineteen ninety seven? I mean, it's so there was obviously dramatically less noise back then, which was very very helpful. So we had a few weeks after we launched, we were there was a page on us and. 
Newsweek, which at the time was a big deal. Right. The fact that you had a website was worth a news <clears throat> story sometimes. Yeah, particularly because we were like girlfriend and boyfriend, both wearing glasses, starting a website about sex yep. and culture. So that, that helped. But yeah, there were, there were many fewer websites. It was much easier to get attention on the one hand. On the other hand, there were much fewer people online. There were sort of no real revenue streams or business models. And there weren't investors. <laughs> you know, I mean, you had, you basically had, I mean, we, you know, it took us, you know, nine months to raise a hundred grand. And there weren't venture capitalists and, and seed investors as there are today. So it was even harder to raise money, at least in 1997. But it was easier to get attention. And um, There was that famous Kurt Anderson quote about raising money is easier than getting laid in the 60s. But you, you thought it was relatively hard to raise money in the 90s. Well, certainly by 98, 99, right? So 96, 97 was very different from 98, 99. Got it. Like by 98, 99, I mean, things had heated up. And by 99, it was just, you know... It was crazy, and there's a lot of money flying around. And then there was ad revenue. A lot of the ad revenue was different internet companies advertising on each other's sites. So Nerve.com is sort of what made you famous. You weren't wildly successful sort of as a business, though, right? Then you launched a second company, Babbel. I'm skipping one. That's right. Yeah, so so explain what Babbel, what you wanted Babbel to be and what Babbel became. Just very quickly to fill in the, the gap. We launched an online dating business, Nerve Personals, which was really the most successful part of Nerve from a right. business perspective. We spun off an online dating technology company, Spring Street Networks. We ended up selling both Nerve and Spring Street Networks, but not for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, Nerve is currently owned by IAC, and it's still published, Nerve.com. Babbel, we launched basically— So if you're using Tinder, you're, you're using part of the same company that owns Nerve. Right. That's your connection <laughs> right. to, to 2015. right. right. Babbel, we launched in late 2006, and our logic was, gosh, we've learned a fair amount about online publishing or, you know, uh, building audiences online. And back then, a few million uniques was huge, right? It was sort of the equivalent of 20 or 30 million. Today, it was kind of a 10x. I mean, there were probably a tenth as many people online. Mm -hmm. But what we learned very painfully and, uh, and were sort of slow to wake up to is that a smart magazine about sex and culture is not a great ad category. <laughs> we, managed, we managed, believe it or not, to generate some ad revenue. We survived because of, of premium subscriptions and personals revenue. But we thought, hey, we've learned something about online publishing. Let's, let's, let's find go a, find a category we could sell ads. Let's find a better ad category that we also care about. So my wife and I had been clumsy. We procreated. We had a kid. We were parents. We looked around. We didn't relate to any of the parenting sites or magazines. We said, hey, there's an opportunity to create a more honest magazine for parents, not magazine, website, and resource community for parents online. And what we learned very, very quickly was that the people who were, who were telling the story of what it's like to be a parent and providing and curating kind of resources and services for parents most effectively was this universe of mom bloggers, which in 2006 was inchoate. It was very small. I mean, it was, well, there were a lot of them, but they, it, was, it was not a business. And we basically built Babbel into a platform for mom bloggers. Eventually, we had the top three or 400 mom bloggers on Babbel blogging and built it into, you know, a decent-sized business. And, and, and you sold that company to Disney. We sold it to and Disney. And that one did yeah. make you some money, some real money. Yeah, that, that one actually worked for investors and for us. Congratulations. Yeah. That's a successful exit, as they say. And, 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 and there's a connection between Babel and Helio, right? Is that, so we spent the first part of this conversation talking about how Helio is going to focus on a dozen or so really brainy people who are also famous. But then your idea is to sort of expand Helio and sort of make a bigger base of people who maybe are not as well-known but also have followings and sort of create a platform for them. Is that the the connection? That's right. Yeah, what what we learned at Babbel was that partnering with these mom bloggers were one-person media companies, that the top two or three mom bloggers were generating seven figures a year. They had staffs of six to 12 people. Um, They were young Martha Stewart's with TV shows and book franchises. The next several dozen were making low, mid, six figures a year, also young Martha Stewart's real serious businesses. Then there were, you know, a thousand, several thousand mom bloggers with real audiences, 100,000 people, 
quarter million people that were making four or five hundred bucks from Google AdSense, and they were really struggling to have a sustainable little business. And we learned how to help them build audience by training them on how to use all the different social platforms more effectively. And we were able to write them checks because we were able to sell sizable ad campaigns against against all this traffic and against their endorsements and native advertising. So so we eventually grew to about twenty five million in revenue, and we were doing you know seven figure ad deals with. Like Dell computers to advertise a new, you know, computer for your. And you're scaling and so a business by getting these people to sort of do the heavy lifting by sort of your users become sort of the people who are also generating revenue for you, right? They're doing the work. I'm not. I'm not saying it's untoward. I'm saying that's how you scale a business. Instead of focusing on a handful of people and trying to build significant businesses around them, you get a lot of people to build smaller businesses. Yeah, you mean the 300 mom bloggers? Right. You're saying. Yeah, they had their own blogs, but they were blogging for us on Babbel, so they had a separate presence on Babbel. And yes, they were you know very effective at driving traffic. We amplified the the sort of the, the social distribution right. and traffic driving on the supply side of sort of traffic, and we also. Sold the advertising, and, and and that's what you want to you want to do a version of that with Helio, right? Yeah. So our, I mean, our, our our big revelation was that we thought the more we looked around, we thought, gosh, you know, one of the effects of social media has been to make individuals more important than institutions, right? Because people are not, of course, we want you everybody to follow, you know, Helio on Twitter and on Facebook, but people tend to like to follow people, and we think that basically the power of individuals as little media companies, is rising in proportion to the power of institutions. And so we think that the future media company or a compelling version of a future media company is one that is basically a platform for uh, a partner uh, for all these one-person media companies. And, and we, we were doing that in a, in a small way in the mom blog category at Babel. So now you're creating these little mini media companies. One thing that's interesting is that you've got media companies as your investors, Comcast, New York Times, Bloomberg are those three big ones that have invested in you? Yeah. What does that mean if we're thinking about the future of media and we notice that these relatively big or very big media companies are putting money into your version of a new media company? What does that mean? The fourth one I should mention is, is Bertelsmann, BD, right. BDMI, yep. which, which is important because they own, they own Penguin uh, Random House, which is half the book publishing business in the U.S. now. You know, I think it's broadly – I would say that of all the meetings that we took with different investors, and we also have some wonderful you know, VCs and private investors in Helio – you know, the media companies were the quickest to start nodding their heads and say, you know, this makes a huge amount of sense. Let's do this. It would seem like, I mean, the New York Times for one, but Bloomberg others, I think, also struggle with the notion of saying, well, no, 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 the New York Times is the media company. The New York Times is the brand. The notion that our individual writers are going to become brands, they've struggled with that sort of publicly. Uh, one yeah. of them actually, one of, although one of their most famous authors is one of your partners, right, Charles Dewey? That's right. It seems like this is kind of a, they want to play both sides of it, right? Yeah, I think that I'm a huge fan of the New York Times. I think they've done a great job online managing a really challenging situation, right? And I think it's a problem for a lot of these media companies that the stars, you know, Glenn Beck defected from Fox. You know, uh, Nate Silver was running, you know, basically election coverage for the New York Times, and I'm guessing ESPN probably paid him more money. Yeah, um, a very large truck of money show up at his house. Right, right. And the problem is that these stars become lost leaders. The, the economics for the media companies no longer support paying, you know, getting in bidding wars over the stars. I, I do think that it's a problem for the big media companies. But and it's they, a business for you. It's a business for us. I mean, it's great to, in general, with these disruptive dynamics, it's, it's good to be a small entity <laughs> figuring out ways to, to benefit from. I mean, you, you know, generally it takes, there's, there's a long period of time during which dollars get turned into dimes. Yeah. And if you're starting with pennies, you can turn into dimes, you're, you're in the right place. If you if you got dollars, you got a problem. That's kind of the lesson um, of the internet. 
It is. It is. It's been the last in the last you know, couple decades for the big companies. We should leave it there. Thanks, Rufus. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening to this interview as much as I did conducting it, you should subscribe. You can catch up on previous episodes. Be the first to listen to new ones, all on recode.net slash decode. Recode Decode is now twice a week. Kara Swisher will be back on Monday. I'll be here next Thursday. See you soon. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.